All right, church, we come now in our worship of the Lord together to the preaching of the Word of God. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 14. And as you turn there, we're going to take some time to pray again. We're going to call upon the name of the Lord together and we're going to ask for God's help this morning in the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, Lord. We magnify your worth this morning as your church. You are the Lord our God, our eternal God, our eternal dwelling place, Lord. You are our saving refuge now and forever. We are yours, your people and the sheep of your pasture. And Lord, we pray today that you would have more of our hearts, Lord. God, we pray that as your church, that you would sanctify us today. That you would conform us more today into the image of your Son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would magnify your great worth this morning. That you would exalt your worth and that you would exalt your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's read our passage together this morning. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. This is God's word to us this morning. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, When the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set His name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who is within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. This is God's word to Grace Community Church this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 14. Now, this morning we're going to talk about giving as a local church, and before we do that, 
I want to remind everyone that Grace Community Church is committed to preaching through books of the Bible. This is probably 95, 97% of the sermons that you have heard as a member of GCC on Sunday mornings have been preaching through consecutively through books of the Bible. To the best of my memory, which is not infallible, okay, in the 11-year history of GCC, we have not intentionally taught a topical sermon on giving, right? We have dealt with this issue as we preach through books of the Bible, as giving comes up in the text, we have dealt with this issue, and that's what we're going to do again this morning. And something that may be helpful to you is that from the very beginning of this church plant over 11 years ago, we wanted to be different in this area of giving and finances and, and the vibes that so often are put off in corporate worship services. And probably like many of you, I remember visiting churches in my younger years. You would go to the church and it seems like the whole, pro, the whole service was gamed in such a way that all they were after is your money. They wanted your money, okay? And I'm sure that many of you could think back to similar experiences in your life. One of the reasons why we have never passed an offering plate at Grace Community Church is to avoid even the appearance that we as a church were after your money. Okay, we tried to stay away from that from the very beginning. However, I'm gonna call our approach the keep it quiet approach. Okay, the keep it a quiet approach has left us weak as a church in the area of corporate giving. And this was mentioned at our last members meeting. And some of the reasons for that conclusion were mentioned at our last members meeting. And so we're at an important point in the history of our church. We have a new year standing in front of us in just a couple of months. And a lot is laid before us financially as a local church. Good things are laid before us financially as a local church, mainly with the Sullivans intending to head to Iraq as missionaries in the new year. There's good work to be done. There's good work that we want to do. And so we are going to be addressing corporate giving over the next couple of weeks as a local church. And we're going to use the tithe in Deuteronomy 14 as our starting point this morning. So that's just a preparation for you for where we're headed this week and next week. And I want to mention a few other things before we break down Deuteronomy 14. One of the reasons that it feels uncomfortable to preach on giving as a paid pastor, which by the way, I am a paid pastor, okay? And and I can confirm it does feel uncomfortable preaching on giving as a paid pastor. And one of the reasons that it does is this perception of self-interest. Okay. And what I mean by that is, is you fear this perception of, wait a second, you know, I benefit here from the giving of the church. What I mean by that is the hearers could possibly think, we know you want us to give, Pastor. 
We know that. We stop giving, you stop eating. We know you want us to give, okay? And so I have prayed specifically that the words of the Apostle Paul would rule my heart as I handle God's word this morning. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. He says this, I seek not what is yours, but you. I seek not what is yours, but you. I've prayed about that this week. I believe God has given me this heart. And so I ask you as a member of GCC that you would hear me this week and Greg next week as we address giving with these words in mind. We do not seek what is yours. We seek you. Meaning, we desire holiness for GCC. We desire that God would have more of our hearts. We desire that King Jesus would rule over every aspect of our life, bank accounts included. And we believe this weakness can be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer and through the teaching of the Word of God. And so that's where we're headed, right? And so this morning, we're going to start with this passage on the tithe. And what the tithe does is it gives us insight into what God commanded His people under the Old Covenant regarding their possessions. The word tithe simply means tenth. It's a way of saying the tenth, the tithe, okay, 10%. Israel was commanded to give a tenth of all of their increase to the Lord. You see that in verse 22. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed. The tithe was a sacred portion in Israel, and it was counted as holy unto the Lord. Leviticus 27, verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And so, wrong way to think about this is God owns the 10%, okay, and Israel owns the 90%, right? And that was the arrangement. That's the wrong way to think about this. The Bible teaches God owns everything. God owns 100%, okay? Every, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord our God. But the tithe teaches us that under the old covenant, a sacred portion, a tenth, is set apart, is marked off as God's holy portion. And his people in this age, in the old covenant age, were to honor him as Lord of all by giving him the tenth, the tithe. And so one of the things we learn just off the top is that generosity in Israel was not merely everybody give whatever you feel led to give. Okay, Whatever you feel led to give, that's what you should give. There is a category for that in the Old Testament. It's called the free will offerings. Okay? Over and above the tenth. But the tithe reminds us 
that there was a fixed base percent that was required for the people of God. It was a tangible, concrete expression of fearing God with your finances, with your possessions. Malachi the prophet later in the Old Testament indicts Israel for robbing God of this sacred portion, the tenth. Malachi 3 verse 8, he says this, But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And so in the Old Testament, God demanded the whole tenth be set apart as this sacred portion from his people. Now, one of the things you may have noticed as we read through Deuteronomy 14 is there's actually two tithes mentioned in this passage. We have an annual tithe in verse 22. That's what Israel was to do year by year. And then look down at verse 28. We have this triennial tithe. Verse 28 says, at the end of every three years, do this. Verse 22, every year do this. Verse 28, after every three years, do this. And we'll talk more about how these two tithes come together in this passage. And so we'll start with this annual tithe. Year by year, Moses says that Israel was to make a journey to the place where God set his name and they were to eat a feast there in the presence of God, them and all of their household in this celebratory meal that celebrates God's provision on that household. Moses says this is the duty of every Israelite year by year and you see that in verse 23. A portion of the tenth Okay, was eaten by the family in that ceremonial meal. Not all the tenth. Okay? I mean, think about how impossible this would be to eat a month's worth of grain in one meal in the presence of God. All right? So the tithe was brought. Part of that tithe was used for this ceremonial meal. Okay? It was eaten in the presence of God. And it was marked by joy. Look at verse 26. Whatever you desire, God says. Oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, whatever you desire. Verse 26. Eat, rejoice, you and all your household. Throw a party. Celebrate in the presence of God. This was this celebration that God has provided for me. God is my provider. Eating in the presence of of God, celebrating God's bountiful provision year by year in Israel. Provision was made in this annual tithe for those who live far away from the sanctuary. So think about that. Let's say you live five hours away from Jerusalem, okay? And you got a tenth of your annual yield, and you're thinking, man, how do I get this from here to there? Moses says, no problem. Provision is made in verse 25. If distance was a problem, you could take your sustenance, whatever that was, you could turn it into money in your local town, right? Exchange it for money. Then make the journey to the place where God put his name. Then turn that money back into sustenance and then offer that tithe unto 
the Lord. Provision was made for those who live too far away. Provision was also made for the Levites in the annual tithe. Verse 27, you shall not neglect the Levites. We actually see them twice in this passage. And from the other passages in the Old Testament about tithing, as we put them all together, okay, we learn that the majority of the tithe was given to support the Levites. We learn this especially from Numbers 16. In other words, under the Old Testament system, there was one tribe that was supported by the 11 other tribes. And they supported the Levites through this contribution called the tenth, the tithe. Right? The 11 tribes supported the 12th tribe, the Levites. This was God's design because the Levites were set apart for the service of God. And they had no land inheritance when the land was portioned up by tribe. They had no inheritance among the people. The Lord alone was their inheritance. And provision is made for their livelihood through tithing. Numbers 18 verse 21. To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance... In return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting, the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. So what we have so far is we have this tenth of all the increase that was given as a gift to God. The majority of that gift went to support this 12th tribe in Israel and a portion of that tenth was used in this celebratory meal in the presence of God. Moses mentions the other tribe in verse 28. He says, at the end of every three years, now this third year tithe is only mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy. It's mentioned in chapter 14 and again in chapter 26, it's called the year of tithing. And really, there are two ways to view this tithe in verse 28. Some see this tithe as an additional tenth that is mandated upon Israel every third year. And then others see verse 28 as alternate instructions of what to do with the verse 22 annual tithe every third year. Those are the two views. Either this is a separate tenth given every third year, okay? Or every third year, instead of bringing your annual tithe this way, you would give your annual tithe this way. And there are scholars, both Jewish and Christian scholars, on both sides of those views. The one tithe view where the tenth is required of Israel. And then really there's the three tithe view where you have the Levitical tithe, the festival tithe, and then every third year this um, uh, benevolence tithe, which totals up to 23.3% of their annual increase. Those are the two views, and I will just leave it here. It is not exactly clear which one of those is right. Okay? Uh, is this a separate tithe in verse 28 or is this just additional instructions of what they do every third year? I don't think that is um, exceptionally clear in this passage 
or other passages in the Old Testament. Nevertheless, on the third year, the tithe was given locally, not to the place where God puts his name, but Moses says in verse 28, lay it up within your towns, he says. Okay? And so this tithe, this verse 28 tithe, that functioned as a benevolence fund. Okay? He mentions four categories here. The Levites show up again in verse 29. Why? Because they have no portion or inheritance. Okay? So they're included in this third year tithe. And then also Moses mentions the sojourners, the fatherless, the widows. They're to lay up the tent in their towns so that these needy ones, according to verse 29, those without land, those without sustenance, verse 29, so that they can come, so that they can eat, and so that they can be filled. And so this benevolence tithe is God's gracious provision for the needy in Israel. That even those without land would share in the blessing of God upon the promised land of Israel. They were included. Provision was made for the needy. And so that's the tithe in Israel. And one of the questions that comes to mind is the question of whether this is required of us in the new covenant. Okay? That's the question that comes to mind. Like, Man, we learn about this here. We can see God's wisdom displayed in this command. This is a good command. It was a generous uh, uh, structure here. But what, if any, of this applies to us under the new covenant? The best argument against tithing, okay, what I mean by that is that it's no longer applicable in the, under the new covenant is its close connection with the ceremonial law. Those portions of the law of Moses that fall away and are fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And so a careful reading of Deuteronomy shows you that even the structure of this book has these tithing commands right in the midst of ceremonial portions of the Old Covenant. And so the, the passage right before our passage on tithing is dealing with dietary laws. Ryan preached on that last week. The passage immediately after tithing is a passage dealing with the sabbatical calendar year, the Sabbath year in Israel, every seven-year cycles. Both of those unquestionably are ceremonial portions of the Old Covenant. They have fallen away with the coming of Jesus Christ, which would seem to indicate that Christians are no longer under this tithe command. Okay, That's the best argument against tithing under the new covenant. The best argument for the continuation of the tithe command is the appearance of tithing prior to the law of Moses. It is mentioned twice in the book of Genesis before the Mosaic Covenant was given to the people of Israel. Genesis chapter 14 and Genesis chapter 28. I'll mention those quickly. In Genesis chapter 14, what do we see? We see the patriarchs. We see Abram. And he goes and 
and, and, and is rescuing his knucklehead family member, Lot, okay? And he enters into this battle of the kings, these Mesopotamian kings. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that he defeats these kings. Hebrews actually says, the slaughter of the kings. Abram receives this great spoil as he dispossesses these Mesopotamian rulers, okay? And on his way back from this battle, Abram comes face to face in this confrontation with this mysterious biblical figure named Melchizedek. Okay? This kingly figure, king of Salem, this priestly figure, priest of the Most High God. And this figure, this, this type of Jesus Christ, king of righteousness, king of peace, priest of the Most High God, blesses Abram pronounces the blessing of the Most High God upon Abram. And then in response, the Bible says that Abram gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything he has. He tithes to Melchizedek. Hebrews makes a point of this, that the, 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 the inferior tithes to the superior in that passage. And so we have Abraham... And he gives a tithe to Melchizedek in Genesis 14. And one of the questions, you know, we ought to think about is, where did he get that percentage? I mean, like, he, he, it's like this reflex. He meets this mighty ruling priest king, and the re reflex is a tenth of everything I have. Where did he get that? Okay. Happens again in Genesis 28. Another patriarch, Jake, Jacob, he meets God. At a place called Bethel. He has that vision uh, 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 of seeing you know, the, the ladder and the angels. And he meets God and God gives the covenant promises to Jacob. And in response to the promises of the covenant, Jacob pledges to be a lifelong tither to the Lord. Genesis 28 verse 22. All that you give me... I will give a full tenth to you. And so the question comes up again. Where did they get this percentage? Okay. History tells us that tithing was a common practice in the ancient Near East. Tithes were not specific to Israel. Okay. Tithes were taken for the support of temples in the ancient world. Tithes were also taken as royal taxes from uh, in these suzerain vassal relationships in the ancient Near East. And so this practice of honoring the gods or honoring the rulers with the tenth is deeply rooted in human history. And the best argument runs this way. If the presence of tithing is prior to the existence of ceremonial law, this would seem to indicate that, that there is something abiding in the new covenant about this practice. Yet, the New Testament never gives us a command to tithe to the Lord. We do find commands in the New Testament to give. Jesus assumes that his disciples will give. In the Sermon on the Mount, he actually puts it in one of three spiritual disciplines, when you give, when you fast, and when you pray. And so a Christian that doesn't give is in disobedience to Jesus Christ, but we're never commanded to tithe. We are commanded to give. 
But Paul actually instructs Christians that we are not to give under a sense of compulsion. Okay? That there is supposed to be this open-handed uh, uh, generosity that flows from the people of God. And I think these commandments that Paul gives, not under compulsion, willingly, not reluctant, I think that's hard to square with a one-to-one equivalence of Old Testament tithing being brought into the New Covenant. Some have referred to New Testament giving as what we're commanded to as grace giving. Okay? There's not, it's not clear. This fixed percentage is not clear. And so I don't believe that we have enough biblical light to bind all Christians' conscience everywhere with this tithe command. I don't believe we have enough light from God's word to say, unless you do this, you are in sin against the word of God. But what we do have is principles that need to be applied. Principles for every believer. In other words, God still lays claim to our money. I hope you believe that as a Christian. Everything belongs to Him. It's not ours. It's His. Everything that we have belongs to Him. That's what it means to call Him God. He is God. He is our Lord. So He still lays claim to our money and we should still honor Him with a portion of our wealth. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your increase. Friends, that is still the word of God. That principle still stands in the, in the church. God is still worthy to be honored with the first fruits of all that we receive. And so, even if we are not bound by the tenth, Think of how closely the New Testament gets us to something like this. I don't mean the fixed percentage, but something like this regular discipline of giving to the Lord. We'll just use 1 Corinthians 16 as an example. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, Paul commands, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. And so it's one thing to say, man, I don't believe in tithing. Okay? I think that's passed away. Okay? But what do you believe has, 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 has popped up in its place? I mean, it's one thing to believe that tithing is fulfilled. There's good reasons to believe that. But what, so that's what you believe negatively. You don't believe in tithing. But what do you believe in? And we could say at least three things about New Testament giving. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Number one, we can say that New Testament giving is to be regular. Say, so what do you mean? Paul says, first day of every week. First day of every week. You know, in this passage, this is actually one of the proof texts we have of why we meet on Sundays and not on Saturdays. Okay? First day of every week, the day of resurrection, the day when Jesus emptied the tomb. One of the things that's supposed to happen on this day of the week is the, is the offerings given to the Lord. New Testament giving is to be regular. It's to be a regular discipline for the people of God. 
New Testament giving is to be universal. Paul says, first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside. Okay? Not some of you, each of you. Not, you know, uh, the, the members of the church that are just loaded, you put something aside. He says everybody puts something aside. Okay? So there's something expected from all the members of this church that they would be in this regular habit of setting something aside for the Lord. And lastly, we could say that New Testament giving is to be proportional. Paul says, first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside. And he says, store it up as he may prosper. As he may prosper. Okay? And so there is this principle in the New Covenant, and it's the same principle as we saw in the Old Covenant, both before the law and under the law, that whenever we get an increase, we should give a portion of that to the Lord. Whenever God provides something for us, we should give something back to the Lord. This is how we honor Him with our wealth. And the burning question that some of you have is, yeah, but how much do we give to God? And I wanted to tell you, stay tuned for that question. Greg is going to solve that next week, okay? (laughs) Greg's going to solve that one next week. He just found out he's going to solve that one, okay? Um, One of the things I want to convince you of today is the principle of corporate giving. Corporate giving. Right, I want you to notice in this text that the tithe was corporate giving. Right? And what I mean by corporate giving is it wasn't I saw someone in need, you know, driving down the road on the way to Wendy's and I gave them a bottle of water. Okay? That's individual giving. The tithe, and that's a good thing in the Bible. Okay? We have a story in the Gospels about a good Samaritan who sees someone in need on the side of the road and he provides for his needs, that's generosity, that's biblical, that's good work, that wasn't the tithe. Okay? The tithe was corporate. Moses said, you cannot use this in, in, for yourself. This is not something that could be given away in the course of your own private life. What did God command? He said, bring the tithe to the place where I put my name. It was part of corporate worship. It was not personally administered. It was brought to the place where God put his name, his sanctuary, and it was given to the Levites. It was the same with the benevolence fund. It wasn't just as you see someone in need you know, uh, uh, meet those needs. It was something that was stored up and corporately distributed. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 37, bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all of our towns. And so even that benevolence fund in Deuteronomy 14 was administered corporately, okay? And we definitely see that same principle dragged into the new covenant age. An example of this is in Acts 4. We are told that the church gives generously to those who are in need. 
But Luke tells us in Acts 4 that those gifts are laid at the feet of the apostles and then administered to anyone who had need. That was corporate giving, New Testament and Old Testament. And so the Bible teaches this concept and really this duty of giving corporately. And you know what? We're really wise to remember that in an individualistic age, okay? Especially in the West, especially in America. And that stuff creeps in the church and it, and, and it sounds something like this. Man, it's just me and Jesus. And I don't need that local church stuff. Man, it's just me and Jesus. I love Jesus. I trust Jesus. I don't need, I don't need the local church. I'm uncommitted to a local church. Just me and Jesus. We need to remember that in this age, that the Bible calls us to corporate generosity. Christians should honor the Lord with their wealth. And one of the ways we do this is by giving a portion of our increase to our local church. Regularly, proportionally, generously. And the New Testament even says even sacrificially we give to the people of God. Many evangelicals have taught that tithing is not necessarily a, a, a duty-bound command, but many have taught tithing as a good starting point for Christian giving, grace giving. Okay? Randy Alcorn, in a really good book, probably the best book on uh, money that I've read, I would commend it to you, it's called Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. He calls tithing the training wheels of giving. In other words, we're not under this command, but there are principles in this command that train us how to be generous with what we have, how to give of our resources. And so one way to think about the 10% portion in the New Covenant is, at, is as a starting place. It's a great place to start. If you don't know where to start, just a great place to start. Worth sacrificing to get there. Okay, 10%. The argument runs this way for tithing as the training wheels of giving. The, the argument runs this way. Since the New Testament has better promises, better priests, better sacrifices, something seems off that the giving would be less. Under the New Testament with the Holy Spirit indwelling the people of God that we would have a better covenant, better promises, better sacrifices, but less giving. Okay. And that view is not without its complications, okay? especially if the three-tithe view of the Old Testament is right and Old Testament Christians gave 23.3%, then this, is, this can be e even problematic of uh, uh, thinking this way. But I think a wonderful application of this sermon today is this. That you would make a decision to grow as a Christian in the area of corporate giving. I think that's a wonderful application. That you would be reminded from God's word today that God lays claim to your finances. All of them. Okay? And that, 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 that the people of God have always honored the Lord with a portion of all of their increase. Each member of GCC should be prayerful in determining what portion or percentage that is, that generous portion that you give to the church every time you give 
an increase. Every time you get an increase. One of the ways to see um, the need for these ongoing principles of tithing, even if we're not under the practice of tithing, is to see the purposes that the tithe was used for in the Old Testament. And if you see the purposes that it was used for, and you see these same purposes still remain under the New Covenant, then you see a need for these principles to play out in the people of God. Moses mentions four purposes of the tithe in Deuteronomy 14. Number one, the tithe was used to fund corporate worship. And you see that in verse 23. These were those ceremonial meals in the presence of God, and they were provided from the tenth, the tithe. Under the new covenant, corporate worship still needs to be funded. How will it be funded? Well, the only way it's going to be funded is through the generosity of the people of God. Number two, purpose of the tithe, it was to provide for ministers. You see this twice, once in verse 27, again in verse 29, the Levites are mentioned. Don't forget the Levites, God says. The tithes of Israel provided for their livelihood. Under the new covenant, pastors and missionaries still need to be supported by the people of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul uses Old Testament principles to establish New Testament duties related to paying pastors. He says this, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. You see how wrong that is to, to just have this real simplistic hermeneutic of if it's, not in, if it's in the Old Testament, it's not for us. When Paul says, man, there are principles um, even in agrarian life that apply to corporate generosity in the church. He does this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul cites an Old Testament principle of supporting Levites as the base for the New Testament support of pastors and missionaries. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? And then he says this. That was a reference to the Levites. In the same way, God says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So number one, the tithe was used to fund corporate worship. Number two, it was used to provide for ministers. Number three, the tithe was used to provide for the needy. And we saw that in that benevolence tithe. Every three years, this benevolence fund was replenished in Israel. Brothers and sisters, under the new covenant, the needy among us still need to be taken care of. And one of the things that God has provided for us, one of those better things that God has provided for us is the office of deacon in the new covenant. We have New Testament office bearers. They are the ministers of mercy of the church of Jesus Christ. And what do they do? Well, they take a portion of these gifts for, to given to the local church. And they are our arm of compassion to the needy. They are the ones distributing these resources to meet the needs of the saints, of the people of God. And so, yes, these Old Testament institutions have passed away. Yes, they have. But New Testament institutions have replaced them, and they still need to be funded. And this happens through the generosity of the people of God. 
Number four, Moses tells us that tithing teaches the fear of God. He says this in verse 23. By giving a tenth of all of their increase through that practice of God gives me and I honor him with a tenth, Moses says this, that Israel would learn, verse 23, to fear the Lord our God always. To fear, you will learn to fear God always. And so we have tithing as this discipline that taught Israel their priorities. They were regularly reminded of their priorities. God is the one who provides for me, and I honor him in this way. Who comes first? The tithing taught Israel. Who comes first? Under the new covenant, the Lord is still worthy to be feared. Amen? The character of God didn't change. God's glory didn't diminish. He's still worthy to be honored uh, from all that we have. Okay? The Lord is still worthy to be honored with our wealth. And we, Christians, we still need to handle our finances in a way that proves God comes first in my life. The Lord comes first in my life. Now, if you're feeling condemned today, okay, and for whatever reason that is, you're feeling condemned, you're feeling down, you left some things undone, your conscience is bothered, okay? I want to remind you that corporate giving does not save you. Jesus Christ alone saves you, okay? And aren't you thankful this morning that you aren't saved by tithing, okay? I mean, who wants to start working that math problem of what about all the times in my life I haven't? And if I had to do this perfectly and go back and make sure I got this right. You're not saved by tithing. You are saved by Jesus. You're not saved by New Testament giving. You are saved by Christ alone. You can never, ever give God enough to put him in your debt. Okay, That's a really wrong way of thinking. Uh, man, I've, I've done so much wrong. I'm just going to give it all to God. And then God is bound to bless me or forgive me. That's called bribing. That's not giving. Okay? You can never put God in your debt. That's a totally backwards way of thinking about giving. We don't give to be saved. We don't give to be accepted by God. We don't give to be loved by God. We give because we already are saved. We give because we already are accepted in the beloved. We give because God already loves us. And so the gospel reminds us that before a Christian ever gives to the Lord, God gave to us first. Before you ever write a check, Oh, and that's, that's what we used to do back in the 1900s uh, for you uh, young ones here, okay? Or before you ever Venmo, okay? Um, before you ever gave anything to anybody or to the Lord, God gave to you first. That is the Christian gospel. It's the good news that God did not withhold the best gift that he could have possibly given. The gospel reminds us that God, listen, he didn't withhold his only son from us, but freely gave him up for us all. That's the God of the Bible. He's a giver. 
of the best gifts. He's a giver of free gifts. Christians call this grace, undeserved gifts from God, and even eternal gifts from God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 reminds us the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, the application for, you, for the sermon today for you is actually not to give anything. It's to receive something. You have to receive before you give. You have to receive from God. God has to serve you before you ever serve Him. And He has provided an inexpressible gift to us in His Son. And you must receive it. But the only way you can receive it is freely. If you try to pay for this gift, you can't have it. It's only received through childlike trust in Jesus Christ. God gives to us before we ever give to Him. And that means that Christian giving is grounded in the gospel. And you're going to hear more about that next week. It is the gospel that motivates our giving. How in the world could we give more than the God who gave us His Son? We can't. It's the response of thanksgiving. And it's also motivated by the promises of God. Look at the last phrase in Deuteronomy 14. Moses says that the Lord may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. There is a blessing promised to the people of God. Now, this is hijacked all over the world. Just turn your TV on, that, that weird channel. okay? Hijacked all over the world that you give and you'll get a private jet okay, or a billion dollars. These promises have never been about uh, blessing the greeds of the people of God, but supplying the needs of the people of God. There is a promise here. Don't just know what it doesn't mean. Know what it means. Believe it. Stand on it. God has promised, not only in Deuteronomy 14, but all throughout the Bible we find this repeated promise. God will bless the generosity of His people. That the Lord may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. We ought to desire to live under the blessing of God. We ought to believe that promise. And promises like it. They should quiet our fears. The fears that we have of giving sacrificially. They quiet those fears. And we say, God has promised to be my sufficiency. I want to stand here. I want to live here. It is in the context of corporate giving that we have these promises repeated in the New Testament. I'll give you one example. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, in the context of corporate giving and gospel partnerships, Paul assures the people of God with this promise. He says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Church, let's resolve to be a giver to the God who gave us His Son. And let's pray together. Father, we come to You today, and Lord, we ask for grace. Lord, we ask for Your help this morning. God, we pray that You would sanctify our hearts, Lord, and that You would loosen the grip 
of the things of the world on our affections. Lord, we pray that you would motivate us towards generosity. We, play, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be Lord in every way. Lord in every way. God, please be our strength, be our help, and be our sanctifier. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.